Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. This is a nonprofit chat live. We're seeing people on Facebook and we're seeing people in the webinar platform. So we're broadcasting to the world tonight on this series we call the Nonprofit Chat. And we're talking about board of directors tonight. And my guest tonight is, is my dear friend and board expert, Dr. Theon Gordon. So Theon, rather than me reading a long, boring uh, resume about you or bio, bio um, why don't you share just a minute about yourself. You're in LA. You do lots of good things for lots of people. You have lots of skills. Tonight, let's focus principally on what you've done for charities. You've been a nonprofit director. You've worked for major foundations on board capacity building. So talk a little bit about your, your work and, and your experience in working with boards. And so welcome to the nonprofit chat. Thank you. Thank you, Hugh. It's a pleasure to be here on the nonprofit chat and in the room. Hopefully I won't have too much background noise. I am uh, out of town right now uh, in the Oakland, California area. But uh, my experience on boards, uh, first of all, I've served on boards and continue to serve on boards. And I've been able to work with uh, nonprofit uh, board chairs and boards in the capacity of executive director. Uh, I have worked in the nonprofit industry for over 15 years, working with nonprofits such as A Place Called Home in South Central Los Angeles and CoChart in the Los Angeles and the Bay Areas. Um, so those have been exciting organizations. I, I have lots of other organizations that I do consulting with, Foundation for Second Chances. Um, there's uh, Children, Youth, and Family Services. And in all the cases of working with these nonprofits, there's always the question of boards and board development and how do we get our board to get on board? And um, so I have an opportunity to do a lot of board governance training and participation with boards and getting them involved uh, and getting them further involved with the causes that they love. So I'm excited to be here today and happy to answer any questions that I can answer to help any of you develop a stronger board. Love it, love it, love it. We have somebody out there spying on the questions, so they'll post them on, on our chat later on. Um, I do, um, I've worked with charities for 30 years. Charities, nonprofits, I'm using the word interchangeably tonight. Um, and I find that um, the topic, many topics come up over and over. One is communication. One is leader burnout, one is lack of revenue. But the, the second most common topic is, well, the board is not functioning up to its expectations or the expectations of the leader. And so board underperformance is, is, is a common thing that comes up. And um, tell us a little bit about the capacity building work that you, you've done on behalf of some of the foundations. So, yes, board underperformance is something that comes up often. And I don't necessarily agree that boards are underperforming 
uh, as a whole. I believe boards, first of all, just participating on a board is excellent work. I commend people that volunteer their time or give their time to do board leadership in the capacities in which they do. In terms of the work that I do, I help people understand how to get the most out of their board. And one of the first things that you want to do is make sure your board understands what are your goals? What do you actually want them to do? It's uh, often, it, it often happens that um, executive directors or organizations will say, oh, we want a board that's just a great board. And great board is never defined. What is it that you want your board members to do? Uh, how do you expect them to act? And the work that I do in capacity building has to do with teaching board governance. So when you're recruiting your board members, you recruit with the end in mind. You recruit your board members, letting them know up front, not just what the organization does, but what you expect your board to do. Uh, you orient your board members. Once they come on board, you want to make sure that your board is very clear on how it is to function. And then you really engage your board. Make sure they get involved in what's going on in your organization. And finally, the, the fourth key to that, you're, you're recruiting, you're orienting, you're engaging. The fourth key is to celebrate your board because board members do a lot of work. So we often forget to celebrate the work that's being done, no matter how small you might think it is, it is work and it's usually volunteer work. So you wanna celebrate the work that's actually being done and then continue with the cycle, recruit them into something else, orient them into what you want them to do, engage them and celebrate. So if you keep that cycle going, you can have a pretty uh, active board. Give us the cycle one more time. So the cycle is uh, recruit, orient, engage, and celebrate. Love it. I can remember four. Now, um, there's a question that we just posted on all the media. If you're watching this on Facebook and you want to join us for the conversation, go to nonprofitchat.org, nonprofitchat.org. And there's a link and you can come into the live part of the webinar and post questions in the chat or raise your hand if you want to speak. Um, and uh, Sandy's watching for questions out there and we'll stick them in if, if not that you post on Facebook or Twitter. Use the hashtag nonprofit chat so it would stand out in the thread. The first question that we have up, and there, there's two that I want to ask, but the first one that's posted for people to respond to is how and where do I find good board members? And there's the word good board members. We don't want to settle for just anybody. So answer that. And then you've used the word capacity building. And I want to make sure that we have an operative uh, description of what capacity building means. So talk about what that means. And then talk about how in the world do we find good board members? And that's another one that comes up a lot in my world. Okay, well, let's start with capacity building. It actually is the beginning of finding your good board members. Capacity is about how do you keep the foundation of your nonprofit going? Uh, just how much can you handle in your nonprofit? And that's about foundation or structure. How are you structured? What are you doing? 
what are you building towards? What's the capacity that you're building towards? So as we talk about board members and we talk about the capacity, what is the capacity for your board? How many slots do you have available? What is the foundation of your board? What type of people are you looking for? So I would say first and foremost in recruiting board members is to lay the foundation, figure out what is it that you need? What is the capacity that you're trying to fill? What is the very thing that you want to accomplish? And once you lay that foundation, you can begin to look at what would the ideal board member be? I like for people to create avatars, um, avatars of what they envision. So think mm -hmm. about your ideal board member and just think, what's that board member's name? Uh, what, do, what is their income? What is their expertise? What, is, what do they do? How do they act when they're on your board? Just kind of start imagining the perfect board member. This will lead you to start looking for the candidates that you're looking for. If you're looking for the ideal board member who's a public relations specialist and has lots of contacts and can help your organization build in their social media world, then that's what you would start envisioning. And voila, all of a sudden, it seems as though whatever you start thinking about starts to come into your atmosphere. First of all, because you start asking people for it. Oh, yeah. you start asking. I'm looking for somebody in the PR realm and I want them to be on my board. And you'll be surprised at how the mountain will come to Muhammad when you ask for it. Uh, once you start finding these candidates, you start talking to them and you, you get them, you, you help them to find you because you talk about what it is that you want. You can post on different sites. Uh, there are volunteer programs in different areas. Just Google it and look for volunteer match or something like that. And you can actually find board members through a volunteer match type of thing. And once you find these people, you want to start evaluating them and figuring out how to bring them on board to your organization. And that requires some courtship. That requires um, talking to them, engaging them, making sure that they're very clear on what it is that you do and that it matches what, what they want to do. Uh, then you begin to nominate them and elect them and bring them on, orient them, and get started on the four-step process. I love it. Vol you slipped that one in. Volunteer Match. Is that a website? Volunteer Match is in, in Los Angeles. There is something called Volunteer Match. I, I believe they're national. Uh, I would look for Volunteer Match, and usually you would just put in the type of volunteer that you're looking for, and they match people who are looking for volunteer opportunities. There are a lot of people who have so much experience and expertise um, that are retired. Perhaps they used to work in schools, perhaps they worked in corporations, and they're looking to share their knowledge and their information with organizations and with people who want help. So I would look for that organization, Volunteer Match. If you notice me missing, I'm on the internet looking for Volunteer Match. That's a <laughs> That's a great lead. That's a great lead. So that's where we find good board members. And Absolutely. Then is there, um, let's go back to capacity building. It's, it's not a once and done. Capacity building continues to, um, capacity is just like, uh, let's see, it's like when you have your cup of coffee in the morning, you mm -hmm. have your good fill and you feel like I'm done. 
And then right around 11 or 12, you feel like you might need a little caffeine boost and the coffee cup is empty. So that capacity needs to be filled back up again. So capacity building is a continuous process. We are continuing to build on what it is that our foundation is, on what we're growing, on what we're working on in our nonprofit area or our charity space. Love it, love it. I'm, I'm favoring charity. We, um, we do have some baggage um, with the word nonprofit. We go into the scarcity thinking, and you and I have talked about how we really want to change the paradigm and um, I'm, I'm happy to hear you talk about this ongoing process. And I love the coffee analogy, being in a coffee snob that I am. Um, <laughs> that's a great, you know, I'm very particular about my coffee, but it, it's a very good analogy. We had some in the morning. We might need a little more later. We do have a tendency to think about, well, we've done a strategy. It's done. Well, it's not an event. It's a process. We, and part of the, um, strategies then integrating it into performance and it becomes a process not a series of events it's a process of ongoing personal growth and organizational growth um, and so um that hearing you talk about i've got to keep filling my filling my cup that's a really good analogy and every time i drink a cup of coffee i'm going to remember that that's just such a vivid picture any um <clears throat> So, so we find these good people. What kind of questions do we want to ask them? Oh, now that is going to totally depend on what you're looking for on your board. So again, laying that foundation, being very clear as to what you want in a board member is the number one part of recruiting your board members. But you do want to have an application process. And a lot of people don't do this. Uh, especially in our not-for-profit or charity world. And I'm going to just speak to that very quickly uh, because, Hugh, you mentioned it. I'm a proponent of calling nonprofits or charities social profit uh, organizations because I believe we're one of the first or one of the only industries that speak about what we don't do not for profit. We don't make money, which we actually do. <laughs> um, we're the only people that actually talk about what we don't do before we talk about what we do. And I believe the work that we do is much more important than what we don't do. So I call organizations social profit organizations. Um, there's other terms you could definitely use for good organizations. I'm an organization for good. I'm an organization for service. Whatever it is, start thinking of what you do in your organization and introduce yourself in that way. It's a wonderful way to spark up conversation, to even recruit a board member. If I say to a board member, I'm a social profit organization that helps um, at promise youth, they're a little more interested than when I talk about helping at risk youth or nonprofit board because it sparks something different. So I would encourage you to change your language in terms of the work that you do. Now, in terms of that uh, capacity building and continuing to do that and the type of questions that you want to ask for, uh, board members or potential board members, make sure you know what it is that you're, you want. Make sure you know the capacity you're trying to fill. Number two, come up with an application process. Just like you apply for the job that you have or just like you apply for any job, allow your board members to apply to participate with your organization. It's, it makes the process a little more serious. 
and it makes sure that your board members know you're serious about the work that needs to be done. The very questions that you want to ask board members, potential board members, would be what are they interested in? What do they think they'd like to do as a part of this board? Why would they want to participate on this board versus another board? And how much time do they have to participate on the board and what their expectations are? So ask the questions that you're going to need answered in terms of the work that you want them to do. Oh, that is so, so good. And all of this paradigm shifting stuff is like, you and I must have the same mother or, or, or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think we're, we're related. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just so in sync with what I've been teaching for years. And you and I just crossed paths and we started talking and found out we had lots and lots of things in common. And your whole philosophies of, of how we empower organizations that are social profit. That's a brilliant term. And just thinking we, we talk about ourselves and what we're and express who we are in terms of what we are not. That is a game changer. My goodness. And then um, I want to speak about the questions a little bit. Then I want to go to, um, we're not really to the second question is how, what are, what's our pitch? I'm, I'm treating that one as how do we, it, at a place where we met CEO space, we have this thing called a snap and it's a, it's a accelerated form of an elevator pitch and we do it for, for donors and investors and customers, but we don't know how to do the language to recruit board members, but it's really not recruiting. It's giving people an opportunity to step into the, the fullness of seeing their passion come, come to work. Let's back up all of this, this paradigm shifting is like, my mind is exploding. You've really helped us think about empowering ourselves as leaders to throw out an opportunity so people can perceive themselves as part of it. Is that, is that I'm, I'm making this up, but this is what my mind is going to as you're talking about this. We're, we're, not, we're not creating things that are barriers. We're actually attracting people to us first by defining the avatar. And uh, two weeks ago, I was interviewing the uh, executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, which is not too far from me. And back to Napoleon Hill's work, it's the law of attraction. It's not an accident. It's being very clear on your purpose and being very good at expressing it. So come, come, come back at that a little bit. All of these, all these pieces uh, require that the leader make a transformation in their, their thinking and how they approach this. Am I, am, am I spinning on your ideas too much or, or are we still in sync? No, that's absolutely right. It's, it's absolutely about the approach. And the law of attraction is a great way of defining the shifting of that paradigm from what we don't do to what we do. Um, we are, we are human beings, not beings human. It, 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 it's, it's just like that. It's who are we being as a human person? And when you talk about the law of attraction and how you can actually bring great board members or great people into your world, that is where it starts. And I would, I would encourage any nonprofit leader to put it out there, what it is that you're looking for, and just watch how these type of people will begin coming into your world. And the same type of challenge, continue to talk about 
how poorly board members do and how you can't find good board members and watch how you continue to not find the people that you're looking for because we create our existence. We create what it is that we want to be. I uh, have a t-shirt with my organization, my company, Beyond Story Consulting, uh, and I, I share this t-shirt with people. It says, have a nice day. And in fine print, it says, if you want to, because it's all about what you create. I can't make you have a nice day. It can be pouring down rain, cats and dogs, and I can walk out the house and say, it's going to be a terrible day today. And that is the type of day I'm going to have. No matter what I do, that's going to be my day because I've determined it. That same day, I can walk out and say, wow, this is a pretty big miracle. It's going to be a great day today. And I'm going to have a great day because I determine my destiny. I determine my day. It's um, the law of attraction. It's as a man thinketh. All of these things that are, are so um, traditional and, and, you know, just they're old concepts that we just need to embrace and use them in today's culture. Well, so absolutely. use that for, for your uh, pitching to new board members, to, to find new board members, start speaking positively about what you do and invite them to be a part of what you're doing. I love it. I love it. And you really don't recruit. You give people an opportunity. Um, you, mentioned, you mentioned James Allen, um, As a Man Thinketh. It's, um, it's a book from an era when language was male dominant. And I, I tend to reframe the quotes. But James Allen said, we don't attract what we need. We attract what we are. And, and yes. you're, you're, I, there's so many little, really good quotes. And it's about, it's about what's between our ears. And I think a lot of times we're our own worst enemy um you're listening to the nonprofit chat you're either watching it on a video replay or you're listening to it on uh, the nonprofit exchange the nonprofit exchange is a podcast you can find on itunes and we have like twelve thousand people that listen to this podcast on a regular basis and they've come from all over the world um dr theon.com is your website would you spell theon for people absolutely Theon is T as in Tom, H-Y-O-N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy, E. It's uh, thy one, <laughs> T-H-Y-O-N-N-E dot com, drtheon.com. You can also find me at uh, beyondstory.com. Beyondstory.com. That one, that one we, can, we can get easy. I want people to go and read about you and know about the marvelous things that you do. And your websites are really nice. Thank uh, you. It's, it's more of an experience than a, a static um, representation. We're talking about reframing our thinking to be able to attract the right players. And one of the, the things I see that we all are deficient in, we think we can't find the right people and we find somebody then we kind of melt down on the ask. So constructing the language and a lot of people talk about recruiting volunteers. Um, first of all, I'm reframing thinking of volunteers to servant leaders because they are leaders, especially your board members. But then we, we make this really lame pitch like we're apologizing for asking them to do something 
rather than reframing it as an opportunity for somebody to connect their passion with worthy work. So the second question we, we have out there on Twitter and Facebook, um, what do I say to candidates to join my board instead of another board or to even get off the couch and join my board or to, to, to make a decision to put some energy. So I guess the fundamental piece of that question is how do I craft the pitch? Is, is that what you're hearing there? Yes, I, I hear that. Um, and remember, it's not necessarily a pitch because it's an opportunity for people to participate. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, you want to make sure that your potential board members are engaged in what it is that you're interested in. If you have people that are coming to the table and you're asking them to join a cat organization or a stray cat organization and they tell you they don't like cats, you have the wrong volunteer. Just make sure you have the right person for the right job. So put your requirements together, have an application process. An application process sets you apart from anyone else. Because first of all, you're saying, this is a job that we take serious. So everyone doesn't get an opportunity to take this job. We have a limited number of spots. It's something about limiting what you have to offer that makes more people interested in it. It's a very interesting phenomena. If I tell you that I only have three of these, you're probably gonna want one more than if I say, just let me know whenever, I've got plenty of spots available. You probably will never respond to me if I say I have plenty of spots available. But if I tell you I have a limited amount of time with a limited amount of spots available, and I'm really interested in bringing you on board so that you could be a part of this engaging and wonderful group of people, that you're gonna connect with, that you're gonna be able to network with, all of a sudden it changes the invitation. So think about how you're inviting people and to what you're inviting them to. You want them to be a part of something that is uh, beneficial, not just for the organization, but for them. So offer them what the benefit is to them. Absolutely. And absolutely. yes. I'm sorry, say that again. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just, my brain is like going wild. A couple of, it's about three, four weeks ago in this series, I interviewed Dr. David Gruder, whom you know, and he yes. talked about the, the, the psychological definition of shadow. And we were limited by our beliefs that say, oh, this person would never, would never say yes. So we we're going into this with a defeated attitude. And you spoke about this earlier. But I think this whole thing, it's not a pitch, you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a presentation, it's a, it's a conversation about how do we connect in, a, in mutually agreeable um, deliverables in, with our passion to make a difference, social profit organization. So I think underneath all of this, it's changing our belief systems that we're not asking for help, we're not bothering people by asking them to do something, we're, we're, we're presenting an option that really could excite people and it could bring a lot of benefit to the vision that we share. Um, so I think underneath what you're saying, there's a, there's a paradigm shift that we need as leaders to be able to effectively make that presentation. What do you got on that piece? I, I think that's absolutely the case. You, we have to offer people uh, especially our volunteers, our board volunteer members, opportunities where they want to be involved. And most times people do want to be involved. Begging board members 
is a thing of the past. Begging people to participate on something is really something of the past. It, mm -hmm. it often happens with a founder saying, I'm starting something new. Would you please be on my board? Because I have to have three board members. And they're not even sure what it means to have three board members. They just know that that's the requirements of the law. So they're like, would you do it? My sister, my mother, my father. And that's their board. That's what it, that's what it starts as. But once the organization is started, and even when you first start, if you really understand your foundation, who are we and why are we doing what we do? Why are we important in the world? And you make sure that those people that you're inviting to participate understand why they are important to help that cause happen. All of a sudden it changes the energy because now they too want to make whatever it is you're doing happen, whether it's for children or for animals or for the, the waters or environment, whatever it is, you found people that are interested in that cause and they too want to make sure that they accomplish the goals. So we just have to know that there's definitely people out there who want to accomplish the same things that we want to accomplish. And we just have to find those people. Many times when there is a pull or, uh, or difficulty in finding board members, it's because you haven't found the right match. I had um, someone ask me once to bring a board member that I had from another organization over to their organization. The organizations were as different as night and day, uh, children versus animals. And I asked them, how would I do that? This person loves working with whatever the population is that they're working with. And your population is totally different. So am I supposed to say to them, Stop liking what you used to like and begin to like this because I need you on this board because you're a celebrity and you're great. No, find the right board members for your board and your board will be active and it'll be energetic and you'll have done what you need done. So most of this is really about that mindset. Don't think lack. Don't think that there's not enough people out there for what you want to do. Just know that you have to find the right people for what you want to do. That is such wise counsel. Wow. I can tell that you've, you've um, had a number of these situations that you've advised people on. Um, I, getting the right people, sometimes we settle for just anybody that'll say yes, because there's, there's a comfort level in, in having this conversation. Like you pointed out, it's not really a sales pitch. It's a conversation. It's a, a checking for what's the win-win here and to see if there's a, a consensus on how we can work together. Um, I think we all have trouble with having these conversations and uh, I think examining what that's about. Why are we having trouble? You are leading a vision that's, you reframe my thinking, social profit. We are reframing what people normally think of in the business world as ROI, return on investment, to ROL, return on life. So the, the profit, we have different ways of expressing profit. The profit's not only in the money, but it's in people's lives. And there's lots of ways to look at profit. Um, so this is really helpful for me. I'm, um, I'm gonna, we will transcribe this, this podcast in a few days. It will be on the podcast site the uh, nonprofit exchange. It's an exchange of ideas and it's a place where we um, learn about how to install 
sound business principles into the tax exempt organizations that we run. And there's lots of different kinds. Uh, I've, I've worked with government organizations. I've worked with schools. I've worked with organizations like uh, chambers, uh, community foundations. They're an organizational member. I've worked with um, churches and synagogues. So there's a whole lots of tax exempt classifications out there. And I think there's some, there's a similarity in what we're talking about for all of them. Would you say? Yes. Yeah. What we talk about today would, would go, would apply to any of those organizations, any of those type of entities. Now, um, the um, Jewish board I work with, we're all Jews. The Presbyterian board I work with, we're all Scottish Presbyterians. Um, now, in the community foundations and, and the government organizations, there's a whole lot more diversity. And um, <clears throat> let's talk about diversity. We, we tend to have a limited viewpoint of diversity. So what does diversity mean to you? And why is that important to, when I first share with my wife, hey, I got these three people from my board, and she looked at it and says, oh, it's a bunch of old white guys, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so I was busted a while back, and so I've been very, uh, very diligent in just sort of thinking about how do we create this excellence and diversity. So, what does diversity mean to you? So, diversity—it's interesting because so many times people speak of diversity in terms of culture or in terms of uh, color or ethnicity, but diversity. Diversity really is about uh, so many other things as well. So to have a diverse board for it in particular is about perspectives. You want to make sure that you have a diverse board because per different perspectives is critically important. Um, you want people with different personal and professional contacts, for example, and life experiences and expertise. Because if you all have the same, then it is a little harder to pull from that same pool. So if I'm trying to have a board that is diverse in terms of um, perspective and in terms of where they've been in their walks of life, their life experiences and their careers, then that allows me to have people come from different walks of life. So when you start talking about recruitment and finding different people to be on your board, if I have a banker and I have an advertising person, then that gives me two industries to pull people from. And when you start looking at your donor base and your board often informs your donor base, you have two different industries to pull from in terms of money. So uh, diversity for me is about having different perspectives, having different life experiences, having uh, different, ex uh, different careers and being able to make decisions based on these dis these differences is critical in the nonprofit space. How about the generational difference, boomer, millennial, et cetera? Absolutely. Again, it's going to bring you a different uh, set of people. It's going to bring you a different set of ideas. And then the other part of diversity would be uh, your constituents versus the the people that are on your board. A lot of boards don't include community as part of their board. So the very, the very community that they serve doesn't always sit on their board. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, many times there are boards that are very affluent that uh, have a lot of money attached to them. And to bring someone from the community in 
who the community they're serving, let's say that community is a lower income community. It just seems like such a stretch to have a conversation about, well, we can do this for a million dollars or we could do this for two dollars. It's a it's a big stretch. Mm -hmm. So that is a, a different type of setting and it's something to consider having a community representative to come in at uh, many parts of the board meetings I think is very very beneficial because you get to hear from the ground up what does this organization really need in terms of them participating at a board level where you're saying this board member has to contribute a certain amount of money or a give and get contribution that's where it gets a little sticky because your your actual community usually is not the community that can give that type of money that you're looking for in the nonprofit world. Uh, but having that diversity of experience, expertise, perspectives, it just puts a nonprofit in a stronger position to plan for their future. I see we have some more people that have joined in the uh, webinar portion of this. If you want to ask questions, um, Renee or Sandy or Emmanuel or others, if you want to ask questions, just put it into the chat. If you want to raise your hand, um, I can promote you into the space to have a conversation. Now, we're speaking about um, boards. It's the board of directors. Now, and I don't know if you agree with this paradigm, but I, I encourage people to think about three distinctively different groups. Your staff is another group. It's paid and the worker bees inside the the employee of the company, uh, the organization, but board of directors is responsible for governance and fiduciary oversight for the organization. And I suggest that people have uh, a farm team, uh, a board of advisors who have regular meetings. They don't vote on those things, but they do some of the tactical work and they know they're in the queue for one of those limited board positions. And I'm a fan for rotation term rotation so that you've already got somebody who understands the work and can rotate into a seat. And maybe it's not bad for a board member to be in a, uh, on the advisory board or the third group to be a community advisor. <laughs> I dropped the word board because there are some people that are very high level politicians or celebrities or co corporate leaders that want to help you they can't come to meetings and they can't be a part of it. Maybe there's a conflict of interest, but they could be an advisor and having their name listed um, would give more validity to what you're doing. So do you have any comments on how I break down those three distinctly different groups? Yes. Advisory boards are excellent. Um, again, for me, the, the clarity of what you're doing with each board is what's important. Lay the foundation. Make sure people understand what is being asked of them and what you'd like for them to do. So for example, I've worked with advisory boards before where I've actually given them an application as well and given them a, a contract that basically says this is what you're going to do as an advisor for this board. I'm able to call you twice a year for to ask a, a question specifically in your area of expertise. Mm. Um, you will share information about our organization as one of your favored charities or social profits or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but we give specific things. These are the things that you're going to be doing as an advisor. So this is not just a name only. Yes, we can put your name on our letterhead. But in putting the name on the letterhead, here's what we'd like for you to do as well. 
so that you're engaged and so that you're a part of our organization. You may even include, we'd like for you to attend at least one event annually or biannually, depending upon you know, who the person is on your board. Just be very clear on what your boards are doing, why are they there, and make sure that they understand that. And that's how you get the best board service from each person. A community board, the same thing. Be very clear. We want this community board to be able to inform our executive or our governing board on what's going on in the community and what the community needs. We want to make sure that our governing board is very clear in terms of the work that we do. And it would be nice to have someone from the community or advisors from the community that come and speak to the board that's actually helping to fund our organization. So making sure that the community board understands exactly this is what your job is. You are to keep your ear to the ground. Let us know if we're doing the job the right way. Let us know when we're not doing the job the right way so that we can then inform our governing board of what's going on. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, I didn't... And, and finally, Hugh, the other thing is that governing board. Governing board, your job, you have a fiduciary responsibility to this organization. And that means legally, we're doing the right thing. You're taking a look at what we're doing. That means our money is being handled well. And you're taking a look at the audits. You're making sure we're audited on an annual basis. You're making sure that the funds are going where they're supposed to go. And you have an obligation in terms of making sure the organization stays solvent. So we do a give and get. What does give and get mean? It means we're going to give a certain amount and we're going to raise a certain amount. And maybe those are all inclusive. Maybe that give and get is whatever, a minimum of $5,000 a year or a minimum of $100 a year. Whatever it is, every board member should have their name on the donor list such that they are giving because it's their fiduciary responsibility to assure the organization is solvent. And board members come to the table at the orientation that the executive director or the organization has given, and they know this already. They know it from the start. They know part of my responsibility is to make sure this organization stays solvent, so I'm going to be giving charitable contributions to it. I am learning and excited about Oh, there's somebody posting on here. Oh, Alpensa down in uh, Fiji. Um, wow, people are watching us all over the world. That's um, that's hey. that's yeah, that's that's great. Um, there's 28 other notifications out there too, so people are watching you um, all over. I, I would like to say to Renee, who's watching this um, on the the podcast, I mean the um, broadcast, that um, you surfaced and you're leading us to the fourth question about getting board members to donate. But before we go there, you just opened up a whole new train of thought for me, community advisors. Um, when I, I spoke of the third group, I didn't use the word board. They're pretty much advisors at large. Cause I find that that board means meetings and we don't want meetings. We want some people that just can be our high level advisors, but we can list them. But this community group, that's got a whole lot of teeth. And I'm thinking Renee is struggling with her board and her, teams on how to define their unique value propositions and they've got several different things they're working on it's a it's a charity she's inherited running 
that's 40 years old or something. So I would like to suggest that maybe getting a group, a focus group together of community leaders to then get some perspective and have conversations with those people. Um, we don't have to take everything people say, but everything they say can help us formulate our final opinion. So the community advisors using them as a focus group and an input group, um, I just got a whole nother vision of, of that. Any more you wanna say? I mean, I took put a spin on what you said, but it gave me some really good ideas. Of how do we engage people in conversation that aren't on the inside? And maybe they could help us in very different ways. You want to put any more spin on this community advisor thing? Community advisor is a, a great way to bring people to the table that aren't necessarily going to be able to give you financial contributions. So people can contribute in so many different ways. And that's just one way. The This idea of having a community Sorry about that. I hear some motorcycles or something outside, but um, didn't hear it. Yeah, the community advisors are are people who can really, really uh, benefit your nonprofit in different ways or your social profit organization in different ways. So use people um, as much as you can in their areas of expertise. This is the best way to bring on people who can support you in ways that you hadn't even thought of uh, in the past. But if you need someone doing social media or someone who actually knows how to get grassroots um, people together, to bring meetings together, uh, it's, it's a great way to just bring them on board. Uh, and there's a lot of other things you can do in terms of ad hoc committees on boards. Uh, ad hocs are when you want to bring in, let's say it's not community members, let's say that it is uh, other people who might not serve on your board because they don't want to be committed to a long-term arrangement like that, but they might serve on an ad hoc committee that says this committee is just so that we can fix our bylaws. And we're looking for um, an accountant and an attorney and a public relations person so that we make sure we have our bylaws proper. And you can bring some people on like that, that will be associated with your organization, get them to understand the organization a little more they may actually like it such that they go into your wheel for recruitment for your board for later. So having ad hoc committees attached to different uh, parts of your board committees are also ways that you can uh, evolve your board and grow it and grow actually just information in terms of letting people know about your organization better. I love it. I love it. And that requires a shift, another shift as the leader. And, and realizing that we don't have to have all the right answers. We can have conversations with other people who might give us some really good information. Um, yeah, we tend to limit what other people, we think other people can do, and then that, that puts them in a, in, a, in a box and they can't help us. You may not know this, one time in my life, I, I taught middle school music. And I learned everything about leadership in that three years that I needed to know. And, uh, it, it, but I did a full production of Godspell, the musical, with sixth graders. And people said to me, that's hard. How did you get them to do it? And I said, well, I never told them it was hard. And pretty much I just thought they could do it. I threw it out and we did it. And I, there's been a lot of things in my life that should never have logically happened, but I just sort of put some energy behind it. And we did it. And it was great. So I, I think taking the blinders off, pretty much I said to people, I took the bricks off their head and let them raise to, go up to a higher level. 
because we tend to put bricks on people's head and keep them where we think our expectations are rather than you started out this interview talking about interviewing people and see what they want. And um, I think it's a whole pair. This whole interview has been a whole lot of paradigm shift for me. It's really good stuff. And we've just launched the fourth question on social media. And it's this thing about board members donating. And I find all too often leaders say, well, they're donating their time. I can't ask them for money. So there's a whole paradigm around this. Do you want to speak to that question? How do I get board members to give money? You started on that track, but let's explore a little fuller. So this is a constant question. I get this question all the time, just not just board members. How do you get people to give money? And again, we'll go back to how we started. When we believe we when we believe in the limitations, that's exactly what we get. So I believe that once I've targeted who I want to work with, how I want them to participate, I've done my homework. I know that they have the capacity. I know that they're able to do what it is I, I want them to do. If I do my homework correctly, I am able to get them pretty much about 98%. I'm able to get every single one to do what I want them to do. That's because I've done my homework and I've told them up front what I'm asking for. So again, when you're recruiting or when you're, when you're engaging potential board members in, in the idea of participating with you, you have to let them know up front what the expectation is of the donation of whatever it is you want them to do. If you're ambiguous about it, they're going to be ambiguous about giving. You have to be clear in your ask. You have to let your potential board members know if you have a give and a get. It helps to put it on paper. That application can have on it, our board has a give and get policy that says ABC. People knowing up front, they've committed to it. They sign off on something that says they're going to do it. And that's how you get people started. It's just being very clear. So I'm a, a, a firm believer in, first of all, just being very clear and open about what it is that you want. People will tell you yes or no, and then you can move on. Now, there's some other ways to get board members to give once they've signed on to this give and get policy. And I find one of the most effective ways is to just do your bookkeeping well. And what I mean by that is to have a cash flow statement. This way, you can ask every board member as we're looking at the accounts at the beginning of the year, you can say, well, we know we're going to get in this grant in June. It's on the cash flow statement. We know that this funding usually comes in from this private donor in February and you have your list of what the cash flow is and you could easily ask each board member, can we get what month we might expect your gift? Because now you're doing a cash flow statement. This is just about managing your books well. So this isn't about pushing anyone to do anything. Mm -hmm. This is the organization being very prudent in knowing this is when money comes in. This is when we may be short on money. So if you have a board member that says, oh, I can give mine anytime. Oh, that's great. Would you be willing to make your donation in March? That's when we're a little short on funds. So present your, present your board with good 
accounting information, present them with a balance sheet with your cash flow statement. That cash flow statement is important and most people don't do it because you because most people don't like to think about when is money coming or when is it not coming, but you have to. You have to plan and be prudent with your planning. Cash flow statement is a great tip on asking people for money and saying, when will it be in? The organization needs to know when money is coming in. So that's one way of doing it. Tell people up front what you expect of them. Keep your books in order and give them a cash flow statement so you find out when you can expect it. And then the third thing would just be to work with them on getting the funds. Uh, a lot of times I've worked with board members in terms of doing events or whatever it is that they wanted to do, their awesome event or whatever their awesome contribution was going to be. And I work with them on obtaining it. So if you had a specific goal that you wanted to do a birthday celebration and you wanted all your friends to give gifts to your organization, I could help you accommodate that. So it's a, a, a very good idea to ask your board members, is there something specific you want to do for the organization that we could help you with so that we can get our funding uh, to be a little bigger. And those are three tips that I have for you in terms of asking for the board money and getting it. I love it. I love it. You're talking about the cash flow statement. I'd like to point out that's probably a position you could have on your board, somebody that has the ability. There's, there's a difference in what your accountant creates as a cash flow analysis, which is the brake lights, and what you're talking about is a cash flow forecast, which is the headlights. Correct. And so we're looking at the future, and I believe there's a lot of people that don't know that exists or know how to do that, and that might be a skill that we want to look for on our board to have somebody that's a treasurer person that can help us shape those kinds of statements. That's really crucial. What about, um, we just finished the campaign from uh, my um, national NPR station, public radio, and they encourage people to do monthly, break it down into monthly donations, which kind of levels out your, your cash flow. Any, any thoughts on having people give monthly? I love reoccurring gift campaigns. First of all, it, it keeps your donors in the loop. And uh, for board members, that's a wonderful way to get board members to participate as well, to actually ask them, would they lead off on or be the, the poster children for your recurring gift campaign? That's a wonderful way to get board members to make their contributions. And then you can talk with them about what is that contribution going to be on a monthly basis. Again, it'll feed into your cash flow statement as well, because then you will always, you'll have money going monthly. Uh, the other thing that's really important for board members to know, and this would be in your orientation training, uh, grant funders are very sophisticated now. And one of the things that grant funders ask on a regular basis, I haven't seen a grant uh, this past year, I haven't seen a grant that didn't ask this question. They ask, does your board give? Does everyone on your board give? They want to know that if you have a board of directors that says they support your cause, that they support your cause in a monetary way. Because the, the real question would be, why would I give you money if you're not giving money? If a, if a person that's fiduciarily responsible for the organization doesn't make a contribution to the organization, why would they expect anyone else to? So that's the other thing that you want to make sure your board is very clear that 
grant funders ask for whether or not you have 100% participation in a monetary fashion of the board? This is all really good stuff. There's a whole lot of stuff. Our, um, our chat group has been silent tonight. They're probably busy taking notes. I can't blame them. And you've really covered the topics in a very thorough manner. Um, this is a nonprofit chat, which becomes the podcast, the nonprofit exchange. And we'll have a transcription of all of this great content that we will post on the, on the podcast. So the nonprofit exchange, you've given us an awful lot to think about. And as we wrap up here, I want to come back to you for a final statement. What's your, what's your closing comment for people, either a, a wish or a tip or a challenge? What do you want to leave people thinking about? Well, with Beyond Story Consulting, we encourage people to bloom where you're planted, wherever you are make the best of that situation. If you have one board member or 20 board members, make the best of your situation and engage with your board members. Board members, it's not just a term board member. These are people that want to help your cause. These are people that want to share with you a part of who they are and what they have to contribute. So make sure to engage with them, talk with them, and find out exactly what is it that they want to contribute towards what you're doing. And then make it happen. Bloom. Bloom where you're planted. Go for it. And make something wonderful happen. I'm sure that you'll have plenty of wonderful success stories to share. Uh, stories are my thing. I love sharing the stories of social profit organizations people that are doing wonderful work in the world and giving of themselves and giving of their time. And I just want to commend everyone on here for the work that you do in the world. So bloom where you're planted and make it happen. Give us that, that link again for the story uh, uh, website. Yes, you can reach me, Dr. Theon, at beyondstory.com. That's B-E-Y-O-N-D story s-t-o-r-y dot com beyondstory.com and you know telling our story is an important exercise to learn and a skill to master dr theon um, at drtheon.com you've been a blessing tonight in this this interview and i've learned a lot i gotta roll up my sleeves and do things a little differently i hope others have benefit as well. So thank you for being here tonight and sharing your wisdom with great, with great passion. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, I only came because you asked, and I guess that's the last thing I'll say, ask and it is given. Ask for your board members, ask for your money, ask for everything. Ask. See what you get. Good note to leave on. Okay. <laughs>